Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 hey friends welcome to the common good here on am 1160 hope for your life alongside aubrey sampson my name is brian Fromm. so glad to have you with us uh, on a beautiful thursday afternoon st patrick's day everyone's in their green uh, skipping work, probably doing their thing. Aubrey, the biggest thing about St. Patrick's Day is I believe it opens the door to you doing the entire show in your favorite accent. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everyone! <laughs> There's a the end of the rainbow! I, all the Irish people are, like, cringing. They're like, stop, stop, stop right now, lady. <laughs> Not just the Irish people. <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. I can take that critique. And yet I'm still going to do it. We're, yes, we're excited for that. I know it in my town. I live in Downers Grove in downtown Downers. There's a there's an Irish place called Bally Doyle's, which is really good. Fun. And uh, on this day, if you drive downtown at like nine in the morning, there's people just uh, just lined up and you're like, oh, what is oh, going no. on? <laughs> that, that's not good for driving. Everyone be careful on the road today. Right. It's the one day oh. the suburban people can get going. So uh but it's St. Patrick. It is always interesting to kind of dig into who is St. Patrick, right? So I thought we would do that because, uh, and, and then talk about his prayer, his famous prayer. But St. Patrick, Aubrey, we, we right now, we kind of link his holiday to like we just joked about drinking and partying right, right. and shamrocks and whatever else. St. Patrick was essentially a really famous missionary. He was a famous missionary, and his story is wild. Go ahead, Brian. I didn't mean to tell me what you know. Tell me what you know about St. Patrick. Yes, I know that St. Patrick actually was not born in Ireland, and he, but he was at age sixteen kidnapped and sold into slavery in Ireland, and then when he eventually escaped. He went back to Ireland as a missionary. And that's wow. what's so incredible. He went back to the to the nation that enslaved him in order to share the gospel. And so his story is so powerful. Here's what's funny. We were telling our kids that this morning, just to remind them of the history. And and my my youngest son goes, but then where did the leprechaun start showing up? <laughs> ah, that's right. Yep. It's, it's amazing how things get brought in. There's the legend that he banished all the snakes from Ireland. And yes, most people obviously... Right believe that that is not true, but it's great to have a good mythology around them. Uh, And he says, I'm reading from an article here at history.com. It says he might have first popularized the shamrock. Oh, Oh, because he used the shamrock as a metaphor for the Trinity. That is correct. And so uh, while he used it for deep theology, uh, you mentioned your husband will appreciate him with a shamrock shake. We can thank St. Patrick through. Uh, He was venerated as a saint in the seventh century. uh, And the first St. Patrick's Day parade was not in Ireland. It was in the good old U.S. of A. It was in New York City. That's right. So he is well known. Also, people know the prayer of St. Patrick, and it's really long, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. But I think the most famous part is this. Let me read it. Uh, and then let's just talk about what we can take from St. Patrick. Again, his mm-hmm. name has just become synonymous with yeah. the holiday. And you forget that there even was a St. Patrick until you do some digging. But he says uh, he his the end of his prayer goes like this. He says, uh, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lay down and when I sit down, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, in the mouth of every man who speaks of me, Christ in the eye that sees me, Christ in the ear that hears me. I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through a belief in the threeness, through a confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. And so he's most well known for that prayer, right? Christ in me, Christ, Mm -hmm. this kind of Christocentric prayer that always comes out at St. Patrick's Day. 
And Aubrey, we can learn a lot from that perspective. Don't you think this this Jesus saturating everything about us? Yeah, I think it's such a beautiful it's such a beautiful perspective to think uh, Jesus all around us, in us and through us and impacting all of the interactions that we have, all that we see, all that we do, all that we know, all that we learn. I think it is. I think it's so powerful Um to remember that. And I think that's why this, this part of St. Patrick's prayer has become so famous because it, it feels simple to think about like Jesus with me, Jesus before me. But we, I don't think we always have that posture or that perspective. We don't remember to pray that. And so to be people who are so saturated with Jesus that, you know, Jesus can't help, but be all around us, like his presence, his power, his witness. I, I think it's beautiful. It's a beautiful reminder for all of us. At another part of his prayer earlier, he wrote, I arise today through the strength of Christ's birth and his baptism, through the strength of his crucifixion and his burial, through the strength of his resurrection and his ascension, through the strength of his descent for the judgment of doom. I arise today. This idea that you could just tell everything about his focus was like, I am sustained by Jesus. My hope is in Jesus. I want people to see Jesus in me. Uh, I want, like you said, every part of my being to be saturated by Christ in such a way that that's what people see when they come up against me. I'm going to go back to the land that enslaved me to share about Jesus. I'm going to be this missionary. Uh, I got to be honest, I never knew any of this about St. Patrick until kind of people started posting about it on Facebook a couple of years ago. Um, But Aubrey, how do we grow in this perspective? Mm. Let's challenge ourselves this way. How do we grow in a Christocentric, if you will, uh, perspective of life in which we say, my life is all about Jesus? Mm, you know, I, I love that question. And I think this is one of those things where we need the Lord's help to do that. Because, yeah. every t- you know, when I hear that prayer of St. Patrick, I'm like, that's what I want. I want mm. that. And I think our souls, especially those of us who follow Jesus and have been saved by Jesus, like we want that, but it's so easy to forget that we want that. It's so easy. And not for any necessarily like terrible reason, just we get distracted and life's worries kind of take over and we kind of forget, oh, we need to be centered on the person of Jesus Christ alone. And so I do think, you know, this is a powerful work work of the Holy Spirit to just pray, Lord, would you help me have that same attitude of St. Patrick? Would you help internalize this in me that Christ would be everything in and through and all around me. And of course the Lord wants that for us. So he's going to answer that prayer. And I would go back to something that I've said before and you've said before, Brian, we, because we have a communal faith, we can borrow the faith of other people who have gone before us, especially we think about someone like St. Patrick who suffered, but remained faithful. And so we can even pray his prayer as if it was our own prayer and ask that this would be true of us. And the spirit of God will be faithful to, as time goes on, like birth birth that sense of Christocentricity in us. I think that's a great point that we can take from St. Patrick's Day today as we wear our green and do whatever else you do on St. Patrick's Day. This idea... There, you can borrow prayers from other people. That's the that's the beauty of written prayers that yes. have been handed down. Yeah, and so look at his prayer. Google today the prayer of Saint Patrick. You'll get it, and and ask yourself, okay, is this what I want for my life? And and use it as a guide. Use it to pray today. So happy Saint Patrick's Day today. Uh, and I hope that you're having a good day. Well, we're off and running today. We're excited to be joined next by Steve Carter. Steve is the author of the book, The Thing Beneath the Thing, What's Hidden Inside and What God Helps Us Do About It. We're going to talk to Steve about his book next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. And Aubrey and I are thrilled to be joined by speaker and author of a book called The Thing Beneath the Thing, What's Hidden Inside and What God Helps Us Do About It. His name is Steve Carter. Steve, how are you doing today, friend? I'm doing really, really good. It's good to be with you guys. Yeah, it's awesome to have you with us. And Steve, let's just jump in. Uh, let's talk about the book. But but in order to get there, why don't you tell us a little bit of your story? Um, tell us a little bit more about yourself and how it led to writing this particular book. Yeah, I, you know, I've been a pastor for about 20 years and in different contexts from Grand Rapids, Michigan, Southern California to um, being in the suburbs of Chicagoland. And 
um, I, I kind of went through uh, something that was a little unexpected, didn't, didn't see it coming. It was a little tricky to navigate. And I think I was kind of just wrestling with the question, um, why do people do what they do? And I, I felt like um, that's a question that so many of us wonder, you know, if we, we ever are on Facebook, like, why did that person post that? Or why did that person say that? Or why did that person do that? Or why, why did that person to sabotage good in that way? And, and I think with everything we have at our disposal now, when Paul writes in Romans, like, I do not understand <laughs> what I do, the good I want to do, I just believe the thing I hate I do. I don't know if like any pastor can just say that. Like, I don't understand why I said that. I don't understand why I, I did that. I think we have to do the hard work to understand what's really going on. And I, I've just come to realize that what is happening within our heart, what's happening within our life is going to come out. And we've got to, we've got to have the desire and curiosity to discover what's really going on underneath the surface. Mm, so good. And Steve, obviously, the title of the book is The Thing Beneath the Thing. I think the big question is, what is the thing beneath the thing? Or are there multiple things beneath the thing? What do you mean by that? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so, so thing is an acronym. And basically, what I came to realize was, um, when we get triggered, that's the T, it's kind of the setup that sets us off. And I kind of use this whole like Chicago experience of potholes um, because they're everywhere, and and just realizing like there's those triggers represent some pain point, often from our childhood. As my counselor would say, when you get hysterical, it's most likely historical. So something happened in our story that we have to tend to, that we have to invite God's healing. But often, once we get triggered going to go to one of four places and and the first place that most of us go to is a hideout and that's where we just try to go to escape the pain of our story and so it could be in overeating over like binge watching netflix it could be to more kind of socially acceptable or socially unacceptable ways the second place that we often go to is i insecurity and this is where we create a false story about ourselves. And we often power down by shame or the past, or we just see ourselves not as God sees us, or out of insecurity, we power up. And we just try to like regain control of the situation. A lot of us grew up in a household like that, where someone was domineering with like emotional abuse. And that's them just powering up. Or we've been in meetings where someone has like exuded power to try and just shut everybody up. The third one is narratives. We get triggered and all of a sudden it's like, we're not telling a false story about ourselves. We're going to create a false story about those people. And we're seeing that in our culture. But what I've come to realize, and John Wesley talked a lot about this, is about what he would refer to as sanctifying grace. And sanctification is a word that, you know, I just feel like got put on the shelf in a lot of faith traditions, but it's the process that makes us whole, holy, and spiritually healthy. And what I've come to discover is the beauty of grace isn't just to try and get me into heaven, but it's, it's to kind of tend to those old wounds, those parts of my story that had been wronged, and the trauma, the complex trauma, that God actually wants to heal that and restore that so that I can be a, an, an agent of healing and help for others. So triggers, hideouts, insecurities, mm -hmm. narratives, grace, that's the thing beneath the thing. That's great. And Steve, help people understand a little more uh, when we don't tend to those wounds, when we say, you know what? Nope, I don't want to deal with it. I'm just powering forward. I'm only about the future. When we don't deal with those potholes, as you said, or the issues, what results in our lives? Well, I would just say that Twitter has taught us it'll, it'll catch up to you. You know, <laughs> like hey, Twitter yeah. is on the place to call, call those things out. And, and I also think, too, you know, um, you're going to continue to react. And every time we react, we're just reenacting the past. And so you're just, you, your talent can only get you so far. And then all of a sudden you're going to have to deal with kind of the, the wreckage that you used and built on to try and get you to that place. And, and it feels like you're going slower but you're actually going to go farther. When you begin to kind of slow down and have a great mentor, a great friend, a great counselor, uh, someone who can actually walk you through and help you discover and discern 
what that pain is doing to how you interpret a situation. I mean, the truth is we're all um, perceptive. We're just often not the best interpreters of reality. So I can perceive, oh, this person doesn't like me, but it's the story that like I create about why they don't like me or that they don't like me at all. Like I, and that's where we get stuck and we start making decisions, not from a place of wisdom, but from a place of pain. And when we start mm-hmm. doing that, we're going to be, we're going to self-preserve. We're going to self-protect. We're going to kind of create walls instead of being the people that Christ has invited us to be and to be about the common good. Look at that. That was a show plug right there. Thank there you it was. For that, there it was. We love that. <laughs> you know, I think, Steve, with that in mind, I know something you write about, you know, when we tend to do those things, what are... What are some questions we can begin asking ourselves to even recognize, you know, some of the things we've buried in some of the places where the Lord might be inviting us to healing? Because I think sometimes we don't even know what we're being triggered by. Like we don't even recognize it. So how can we stop and ask ourselves questions to find out that good information? Oh, that's a, such a great question. I love that. I, You know, I think the first one I often ask myself on the regular is, where are you? And it's a Genesis three question. And God, God knows where the man and the woman are hiding. He's just asking like, no, no, where, where is like my Imago day? Where's the image of God? Where, where, where is that? So I often just try to ask that. Um, the second, the one I, I often will just try to be aware of is if I find myself just, you know, the incarnation of Jesus showcases how much like our bodies matter. And to begin to be aware of what is happening in our bodies. Like, why am I just so angry? Or why am I so anxious? Why am I so frustrated? Why, why, why is this person like creating some sense of fear within me? I just have to, I just almost take note of that and just get curious about that. There's no shame attached to that. Um, I try to kind of walk and just invite God's spirit to say, Hey, can you help me? Because this situation caused a lot of anxiety in me. What is that about? Well, it typically will bring me back to when I was eight or when I was 12 or when I was 16 or when I was 20 or, you know, why am I having issues of trust right now with this person? Well, it's probably because I had experienced some being burned in a, in a, in a, in a like kind of leadership position. So, so all of a sudden, like you sit there and you go, Oh, it makes sense. But I can't just now act like that's not there. And I can't pretend to just like, oh, I can just kind of wash over that and just keep going. Like when we're talking about issues of trust or we're talking about issues of fear or worry or anxiousness or kind of abandonment or neglect, like you, you, you start tending to some of these bigger conversations, man, it's just going to, it's going to require just some safety. Why didn't I feel safe and having the courage to hold space for just what comes out? Often I'll do that with a journal and a pen and I'll just start writing, just kind of getting those thoughts out. And is there something there that I need to bring forth to my small group or bring forth to a mentor, bring forth to my counselor? So that's, those are some of the things that I, I try and look for. That's great. And Steve, as we kind of wrap this up with the last minute or two that we have, I know this is book had to have just come out of your own experience and what you're wrestling with in your life and what you've been working on. Help people just know from your own personal life, what kind of freedom you have found, what kind of health you have found by kind of living this out. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think first one is just awareness um, because I can, I can, I can so easily get triggered, you know, and, and all of a sudden like, could find myself running to certain hideouts and, and some of them were socially acceptable. Some of them were like work and work all of them. And all of a sudden just going, Oh, that's, that's because I, that's how I received love. That's how I was acknowledged. Um, and that's what I could control. Someone could say whatever they wanted to say about me, but I could, I could control that. Or, Hey, here are the stories that people had said, you know, when I, when I stepped out of Willow, I mean, I, I still have a whole slew of messages of what people said about me. And, and they're not the kindest words, but that creates a level of insecurity, right? And so when you get triggered, yeah, yeah. you remember, and you get to this moment, and you're like, oh, that's not true. That's not true. And so you have this, you have this moment of like realizing the beauty of what grace actually is. 
and how grace can actually truly make us whole, holy, and spiritually healthy. And so there's just been a freedom to recognize like, oh, like, I'm not responsible for that. That wasn't me. That's not, that's not who I am. I know, I know who I am in Christ. And you know what? I don't need to run to work. I mean, I can just sit in the presence of God and respond to what his love and his grace and his beauty has done for me. And so it's, it's actually been really, really freeing. Um, at times it's a little like, uh, acne medication that sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. Um, but it's, it's been like a moment for me to see like, oh, some of the stuff is they start pulling the string back to realize like, oh, there's some deep wounds that need to be tended. And but on the other side of it, it's been really, really kind and helpful. And I'm so grateful for God because it's his kindness that leads us to return home or to repentance. Yeah. Thank you for that word. Thanks for letting us know about your own life. Again, the book is called The Thing Beneath the Thing, What's Hidden Inside and What God Helps Us Do About It. I'd really encourage you to go pick it up. You can learn more about Steve and his book at stevecarter.org. You can also follow and connect with Steve on Twitter at Steve Ryan Carter, at Steve Ryan Carter. And we're also excited. Steve is going to be speaking at the AM 1160 Lift event on Tuesday, March 29th at Judson University. It's a free event for pastors and ministry leaders. You can learn more and register at 1160hope.com. Steve, it's wonderful to have you on, man. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Aubrey. Really, really appreciate it. Yep, you're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. And Aubrey, something you and I have been doing is, uh, and it's been, it's worked really well. We calling it social media water cooler. So we come up with a question. We post it online. Generally, your friends go crazy with it. I tried posting it this week and I got like one or two comments. You get like 30. Like it goes, it goes. And then we just share some of our favorite ones on air. So the question this week, the thing we threw out there is, and and this came from uh, me being in the studio doing this the other day. Yes. uh, Was uh, I came into the studio the other day and just had the song in my head. What was it? Total Eclipse of Total the Heart, Eclipse right? Total Eclipse of the Heart, yes. And, uh, and I made it known that I knew that song, and I belted it out at every commercial break that we basically had because it, <laughs> once it got in your head, it's, it's there. in and, there. It is earworm material, and it's a good one. And you cannot sing Total Eclipse of mm-hmm. the Heart at a, at a low level. Like there, that's got to be – that's got to go. And so that got us thinking, what are those songs – that when you hear it on the radio and you're alone in your car or you're in the shower or whatever else, yes. and you just not only sing it, but you sing it like it's uh, like like nobody's listening, right? Like it yes. can't be mellow. It's my total eclipse of the heart. You so, sing like you're a professional singer. Right. So I've yeah. got some thoughts on this. I've got some that come to mind, but let's hear what some of our people had to say. Okay. So we had some good Christians who responded and they responded with, I can only imagine by Mercy yeah. Me. Okay. They responded with, I don't know this song called Tremble. I tremble at no other name. Don't know that one, but, and then, uh, and yeah, these are some good Christians. I know I'm a bad Christian for that. My dad actually responded. I knew he was going to say this. It's an old country song by Alan Jackson here in the real world. My dad loves that song so much. Okay. He put that one. Uh, we got uh, never going to give you up by Rick Astley. I feel like of that's course. appropriate. Um, this one was funny from uh, Encanto, Disney's Encanto. We don't talk about Bruno, which uh, I think my kids are a little too old for that movie. Your kids might have too. But all my friends with younger kids say like their kids do not stop singing the Encanto soundtrack, including that song. I think it's true. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yes. So that's you know really who loves funny. to sing that song in the car? My wife. <laughs> really? Yes. Okay. Okay. Funny. Uh, this is a really good one. I was like, when I heard this one, I was like, absolutely. Faithfully by Journey. Like that is a winner right there. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, uh, that one is a winner. That was written by Terry Krause. Do you know I used to go to church with Terry Krause, and what? she's apparently one of your friends. So she a, is. A, We're in a writer's guild together. How there fun. you go. There yeah, you go. So uh, when I was at Glenville Bible Church, she was there at the same time. So ah, uh, yes, uh, anytime, really any journey song, but faithfully is a uh, is a wonderful one. Let me give you a couple that come to mind for okay, me. Okay, let's I, hear. 
I did respond that the only answer to this question <laughs> is living on a prayer by I, Bon Jovi. I, I would affirm that message. Like I, mean, I, I endorsed by Aubrey Sampson. That's really good. Yeah. So not only is that song unbelievable and, and unbelievably singable, but have I ever told you Bon Jovi, uh, the pride of New Jersey, basically oh, that's when you, right. that's your hometown hero, basically what my home state here, he's more South Jersey, but okay, basically okay. when you're from New Jersey, you you are birthed into a couple different musicians. The two main ones are Bon Jovi and Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen, yes. Right. You could go Sinatra and some others. But okay. basically, uh, and it's so ingrained that when I was in <laughs> Aubrey, I believe the fifth grade. Yes. I think it was the fifth grade. And you know, you take music class. Yes. And so you like learn a song the entire semester, the entire marking period or whatever. And then you perform it at a concert for the school. So I this love isn't where like, this is going. I love this, where this is going. Yeah. This isn't after school. This is like a, a school class, right? So yes. every kid's got to do it. Yes. So the entire fifth grade and our parents come and we sing the song. Uh, it was living on a prayer. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that's where you were headed, and that is my favorite story you've ever told. Yep, yep. So living on a prayer, I think, is a wow. no-brainer. We'll Let me give you prayer. another, okay. and I think this one kind of goes along the same lines as yeah. faithfully, is Let's don't stop believing. Don't stop. Yeah, definitely. You're you just see, saying that. I'm I in. just yeah. said it, yes. Yes. and you are already going. Let me give yeah. you one more. This okay. is more uh, The Singer. And we could pick one or two of hers that does, but uh, any really Whitney Houston song, mm. uh, it, particularly like, uh, you know, it, for Bodyguard, right? I'll Always Love You. Yeah, like yeah. I, th- I also think like, oh, I want to dance with somebody. Yes. Yeah, yes. that one. Yes. yes. Or, yes. The, or for when we were kids, you know, like, I believe the children are the, are future. the future. Yep. yep. <laughs> you get going any Whitney Houston song. So I'll belt yes, any of those fair, out. But if fair. you're going to make me choose one. It will uh, always be living on a prayer. <laughs> yes. Wow, wow. That's a good song. That's a good song right there. Okay. Somebody else put uh, We Built This City, which I mm-hmm. thought was another good mm-hmm. one. That's one that my kids and I have belted out quite a bit. Uh, I went old school, like Midnight Train to Georgia by Gladys Knight and the Pips. I love that song. Um, we've got some other people that put songs I haven't heard of. Uh, Murder in the City by the Avet Brothers. Like some that maybe were a little more... You wouldn't all necessarily start jamming along. You know, I think another one, in fact, I was actually at a doctor's appointment. This is very funny. I was at a doctor's appointment last week and um, the Neil Diamond song, Sweet Caroline, came on and my nurse and me started belting it out together in the office. Like, I'm sure people could hear us. So that was was pretty entertaining. Even if you're not willing to belt that out, if you're in like a waiting room or somewhere and everyone's there, when it gets to the part, everyone just goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Totally, totally, (laughs) totally. I do appreciate one of your friends going with Baby Got Back. Tells me about your friends and your people. I mean, they also said push it. So let's be honest. It tells you a lot about those friends. That person. But I think what really, like to step back what really fits these songs for me is not just they're like anthems, you know, this yeah, or that, but yeah. but they're not sad songs, right? They are mm. they are ones that make you feel joyful to be singing it out, right? Yeah. And it doesn't mean it even has to be a joyful song necessarily, but there's something about singing living on a prayer or yeah. faithfully or something where you're like Oh, this brings me back and I'm, I can just belt it out. And uh, it, one of the joys of being a parent, by the way, is doing this with your children in the car. And I unashamedly, if I have a song come on with my children in the car that I love, they are going to have to listen to me belt out the <laughs> entire thing. Like you will hear the whole thing, kids. We will not change this until it's done. They don't even ask anymore. <laughs> They're not even like, can we change it? They just know. All right, dad's in. He's in his He's in his feelings here. He's got his song. He's going. So I don't know how you are with your kids, but I'm like, nope, I'm singing this thing. We right will now. sing this. My kids definitely try to change the channel. And I'm like, you will put that back right now. You know what my kids do? This is so funny just to think about generations. So Disney Plus had the show Hawkeye. And you, do you remember it came out just like last fall? I don't know if you watched it or not, Brian, but it was like one of their Marvel shows. But there was I did a, watch it. Yes. Okay. So do you remember when it, Hawkeye went to the stage show of the Avengers? It was like the Broadway play. I okay? do. Yes. And they had this one theme song uh, about the Avengers that was really funny. Like, I mean, it was totally like tongue in cheek sense of humor. 
my boys now listen to that song all the time and belt it out at the top of their lungs. So that's their song. That's, that's their so song they sing in the car. Isn't that fun? That's awesome. That's awesome. So uh, social media water cooler. Be watching these for being on our Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram at Common Good Talk. We just it's fun. It's fun to hear back from you and hear some of your thoughts. And if they're good, we'll, we'll talk about it on the air. Well, coming up next, we're excited to be joined by Natalie Rodriguez, executive director of hopeful beginnings of St. Mary's. Uh, we're excited to be joined by Natalie next year on the common good AM 1160 hope for your life. Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us. And Aubrey, uh, some of the people that we've really enjoyed talking to over the last couple months uh, are our friends over at Hopeful Beginnings of St. Mary's. Uh, and, you know, we've had Joanne Brada on in the past. And today we're excited to be joined by their executive director, Natalie Rodriguez. Natalie, how are you doing today? Thank you, Brian. I'm doing great today. Yeah, it's so good to have you on with mm-hmm. us. Thanks for doing that. And uh, you guys are doing such important work. And one of the things I want to hone in on today is, is what you're doing with counseling services, particularly with people who are dealing with the grief and the loss of miscarriage. I've, I've shared on the show before, my wife and I went through that some, and a lot of people don't know how to process that. Like, how do you even process that? Could you help people out in our audience understand just the loss that comes with that and maybe what you guys do for people who are dealing with that loss? Absolutely. So miscarriage and loss of a pregnancy is one of the many free counseling services that we offer here at Hopeful Beginnings. Our goal is really to support women through the challenges of pregnancy and parenting. And unfortunately, often um, part of many women's pregnancy journey is have experiencing a miscarriage, yeah. whether that be um, due to fertility struggles or um, just, you know, spontaneous miscarriage. Um, so that is something that our counselors often take on and help women process. Mm, that's so good. I love that you guys are doing that. And Natalie, you know, let's say you're walking with a friend who's going through a miscarriage. What are some helpful things that you can say and do? And maybe on the other hand, what are some things we should not say and do? What should we avoid? Sure. I think, Aubrey, the most important thing is always to listen and give others the space to express their feelings. So often, I think we want to be the supportive friend that tells them everything is all right. Mm -hmm. But really, when a woman is going through a miscarriage, it can be painful. It can be confusing. And they need in that moment of vulnerability really to not be okay so they can process those feelings Mm. of grief. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Natalie, I know for like, as I said, for my wife and I, it was one of the struggles was that men and women deal with these differently, Uh, Mm -hmm. that it's it kind of lands differently. How do you help couples process? Because, again, a lot of times for the men, it's a disconnected thing, right? We don't. Uh, that this baby, what we never saw this baby. This baby wasn't a part of our bodies or whatever else it might be. How do you help a couple process this together? Sure, sure. I so respect you, Brian. Um, you know, expressing that feeling that this is a different process for men and for women. Um, I know often miscarriages happen early on in pregnancy, mm-hmm. where often the outside world kind of doesn't know that the woman might be pregnant. And so it is a very internal process. I would say in a couple situation, really the most important thing is to listen without judgment and and to be there really for your partner because so many of the women that we work with here at Hopeful Beginnings, they express to us about how some days they wake up, the sun is shining, they're able to function and there might be just a small trigger that sets them back into that moment of grief and that remembering of that of that loss that their their body and their their spirit is feeling. Hmm. And um, Natalie, you know whether it's that the pain of miscarriage or maybe postpartum depression or you know or just some grief loss around pregnancy. Why do you think it's important for us to deal with our difficult emotions instead of ignoring them? Sure. So I like a lot the visual of kind of like 
I'm going to sound old, but a soda pop bottle, right? (laughs) (laughs) Bottle, you know, for us adults. So if you shake that bottle, all that foam gets worked up. And if you don't relieve that pressure, that pain, eventually it explodes. Um, So often, you know, it can be our instinct to want to hold those really hurtful and yucky feelings in. But in order for us to move on with our life, you know, we need to to confront those, kind of let the foam settle and, you know, really process what that loss meant for us as an individual. Mm-hmm. And and for the women coming to Hopeful Beginnings, um, they're really looking for someone, and that someone here is another woman, another counselor, to help them process that, you know, because often we can get in our own internal cycle of negative thoughts or just neurosis. And it, it helps to have an outsider really interject some some different ideas into the yeah. situation. That's good. And Ellie, I wonder if there's a story you could tell us. Obviously, without names, you want to protect anonymity, but maybe there's a story of somebody that you are helping or have been helping through miscarriage, through loss, and what that even looks like for people out there to get a kind of good glimpse. Sure, absolutely. So currently we have a client. She's been with us, I want to say about two months right now. Um, She came to us through a referral from her doctor's office. So the mom, she's currently pregnant and very happy that she's pregnant. But prior to her current pregnancy, uh, she had experienced three different miscarriages. Mm. So, you know, you can just imagine the anxiety, the day-to-day anxiety of not wanting to have that painful experience of a miscarriage again and, you know, doubting and and thinking through every single thing they're doing in the day of how do I avoid, how do I stay pregnant? How do I make sure my baby is born healthy? So really the counseling is meant to, to give um, strategies that women, that this woman can use in her day-to-day life that can calm her, center her, focus her. So she can now have hopefully a successful pregnancy and a healthy baby after she's experienced so much loss through her previous miscarriages. Mm. Oh, that's so great. I know you offer free counseling services and other resources for women who are walking through this. That's so amazing. Can you tell our listeners how they can find out more about the work of Hopeful Beginnings? Absolutely. So we are always available here at our office. Our number is 847-870-8181. You can call us daily or we'll go to our answering service. So a counselor is always on call to take needed phone calls from women needing help. Or you can reach out to us on our website, which is freecounselingnow.com. Again, Hopeful Beginnings is a place that you could go to if if you've experienced loss or you need help with pregnancy or whatever else it might be. Go to hopefulbeginning.org. That's hopefulbeginning.org. Or as Natalie said, you could call 847-870-8181. Natalie Rodriguez is the executive director at Hopeful Beginnings of St. Mary's. You can hear conversations about the ministry Sundays at 12 p.m. on Hopeful Beginnings right here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Natalie, it's great to meet you. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you so much, Aubrey. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. Well, Brian, uh, yesterday, Christianity Today uh, kind of hit the social media world by storm by coming forward with uh, sexual harassment allegations against their former editor, Mark Galley, the former president, uh, Mark Galley. And then he responded. And um, I did not actually see the response, Brian, until Mm -hmm. you brought it to my mind. But he I guess he did it on his own blog, Mark Galley at Substack. Um, but basically, he said what you kind of predicted that he would say. Do mm-hmm. you want to, um, you know, yeah, let me unpack it for you. For us? Yeah. Yeah, let me unpack it. And, and by saying I predicted it, I don't even say that in a, um, you know, in a derogatory way, like, oh, this is predictable. I think you we've seen these enough to know, because as I said, in the Christian, when we talked about this yesterday, the Christian Today article highlights two workers and one of the guys was just really overt. He ended up getting arrested for solicitation of a teenage girl. Like 
that was one. And then Mark Galley was the others where it felt just really inappropriate, like just um, boys will be boys, like yeah. how things used to be, you know, these kinds of things. And so I told you yesterday, my guess is Mark Galley is going to end up coming out going, I didn't realize this was a big deal yeah. and we tried to make amends and I wish. Uh, and again, laying cards on the table, Mark Galley has been on our show multiple times and um but his response, Aubrey, and some people have accepted it and other people are like, this is the problem, right? Exactly what you're saying. He did make claims that a bunch of the things written in the article were categorically not true. It becomes yeah. a he said, he said, she said uh, it becomes a I'm really sorry for people who felt this way. And a lot of people are angry with the that you felt this way portion of the apology. Uh, but also like. You know, I didn't mean for this to be seen the wrong way. This is the type of person I am. And and here it just strikes me to exactly what we said yesterday. Like, even if you take him at his word, even if you give him the benefit of the doubt, things have changed since the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. And in a good way, they need to change. And so uh, the things that were, uh, you know, were allowed back then are, or rightfully not yeah, okay now, right, you know, right, putting right. your arm around somebody without, you know, when they don't want to rubbing somebody's shoulders, whatever else yeah, it might be. So yeah. he wants to hang on the fact a little bit in the apology. Like I was never trying to proposition anybody. It mm -hmm. was never a romantic thing. And even if that's true, that doesn't at all let him off the hook. And, yeah. um, but I could, it's exactly what I thought it would end up being. Yeah, <laughs> like it's yeah, just, exactly. I didn't, uh, I wish I knew better. And I wish we had talked about these things before. But part of the problem and much part of the article was that the systems that were supposed to allow for this to be discussed at Christianity Today completely didn't do their job exactly. and completely let the women down. And so yeah. they're trying to have a reckoning. Timothy Dalrymple, the new editor in chief, he wrote about them falling short. He wrote at Christianity Today. So the, t the, the ripple effects of this, Aubrey, just keep going. And yep. you just keep longing that we do better, that, yep. that, that nobody ever, whether you, it was your intention or not, whether it was yes. just, that we just think about these things in a much better way so that these things don't happen anymore. Yeah, I, I do feel like this is Mark Galley's response is one of my biggest pet peeves, which I mm -hmm. talked about on the show, which is a non-apology apology, you know, because I mean, one thing he did is he kept saying, I'm not surprised that I made any men or women uncomfortable if I hurt men or women. So even by doing that, he completely is undermining that these are like specific mm -hmm. women who were saying that they were victimized. I, I don't like that he did that because I think it's incredibly dismissive. I also think, he, like you said, he didn't, there's no acknowledgement of the power dynamic. Like, it, like there's an instance where he talks about how he tried to apologize, but this person said it didn't bother me. Well, there's a power dynamic there and it is unfair for him to put her on the spot. Of course, she's not going to speak up if, like you said, they were more interested in protecting the institution. So I feel like that's frustrating to me that he's unwilling to even acknowledge the mm -hmm. the power dynamic. And then I, I also think we have to, we have to get to the place where we can say, okay, maybe that wasn't my intent, but wow, the outcome really hurt people. And that's at right. what point does the outcome matter more than our intent? And mm -hmm. I, I think that's missing in this non-apology as well. And I guess I wish he would have just said, because I do think there's some truth, like these things, not rightly so, wrongly so, happened. And people just thought this was part of work culture, right? right. People weren't speaking right. up. I right. think he could have honestly said, I came from a day and age when this sort of thing was more commonplace, but I realize now that was so wrong. It's yeah. a little too yeah. late. And I recognize that, but I'm so sorry. And just like owned some of it, but it mm. feels like he's not willing to own much of it at all. And frankly, kept putting it in a different category. If I've hurt men or women that I work yeah. with. Well, yeah. no, that's not what we're talking about here. So anyway, that's I I, I bent about Mark Galley here. And I know you you've had him on the show. No, Not at all. I think I think what what is alleged and what seems to be documented in the Christianity Today article. And I would I would encourage people to go read this. I will be, let me just be as clear as I am is categorically wrong, whether it was the eighties or 2020s. Yeah, that's you know right, what I mean? Ryan. Yeah. Just because it was more winked at back then doesn't mean it was okay then and mm, not okay now. That's good. Yeah. It just means it was viewed a little differently. No, yeah. I think you read that article and you're like, that was a toxic culture for women to be in. And it's yeah. the flagship, uh, you know, 
uh, one of the flagship thing institutions in all of evangelicalism. Yeah, and it, it was that. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the damning quote in the article yesterday, I think from Amy Jackson was, uh, it felt like we it felt like we were more concerned about saving mm-hmm. the institution than doing what is right. Yeah. And that can never happen. It can't happen in churches. It can't happen in Christianity. Today. So just because I say things have changed over the years, I, uh, my point is it still wasn't OK back then. Right. It shouldn't right. have happened back yes. then. Uh, but we're we're much more likely to get these types of stories written and this kind of, you know, yeah. outrage now, which is a good thing. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I don't know where this goes now, Aubrey, because if you think you've been misrepresented, uh, I understand people coming out and fighting Absolutely. for their name. And so yeah. I don't know where this goes. Timothy Dalrymple coming out and trying to say, we fell short. We're going to do better. Mm-hmm. Well, the proof will be in the pudding. Yeah. And uh, they're going to have they, they've got uh, some. They've got to do better, but they've got to prove that in the not just the coming months, but the coming years. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Actions will speak louder than words in a lot of ways in the coming years. You're exactly right, Brian. Well, speaking of uh, caring for women who are victimized, we are joined once again by Christy Anthony and Hannah Weehunt at SOS International. We've been partnering with them all month to provide resources and help rescue women and girls who are enslaved around the world in human trafficking and in other terrible situations. You can actually give online to SOS International by going to 1160hope.com. Right now, there's an SOS International banner at the top of our website. Again, that's 1160hope.com. Or you can call 866-343-4717. But be sure to stick around because you'll want to hear from Christy and Hannah when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson. We have been joined by some fabulous guests, Hannah Weehunt and Christy Anthony of SOS International here to talk about the work they're doing around the world with women and children to help fight against human trafficking, to resource kids with uh, water and supplies and things they need for life. And so I don't want you to miss any of that. So please go back, catch up on our podcast. But right now, I want to invite you to be a part of the rescue and restoration of human trafficking victims through SOS International. During this month of rescue, we're praying that our listeners will provide 80 months of loving care to women and children who are making the choice to leave their lives of bondage and slavery. Your gift of $150 covers one month of their care, safe shelter, food, medical attention, counseling, restoration ministry, education, skills training. Basically, you will be giving them a chance at a whole new life. Amazing to think how much impact your gift will have in the lives of women and children who have been trapped in the slavery of the global sex trade. And if you give right now, a generous matching partner will double whatever you provide to give twice as much love and care to these women. I hope that encourages you to be extra generous. Please give your gift now by calling 866-343-4717. Again, that's 866-343-4717. Or if it's more convenient, you can also give by clicking the SOS banner at 1160hope.com. So Hannah and Christy, one of the things that we um, sort of touched on but didn't get to dive deep into enough is just what does SOS do? I know you gave us a broad overview, but give us a little bit of details. Like what does it look like in the various countries? And perhaps share some stories about some of the things you've gotten to be a part of where you've seen some incredible movement. Okay, well, one of my favorite examples of like what SOS does and the power of transformation that can happen when you decide to develop a community and protect at-risk children is a community we work with in Asia. This was a very underdeveloped community. This was generations of people locked out of the education system. Mm. So we're talking about generational poverty. We're talking about parents not being able to pass on anything to their children. We're talking about generational malnutrition, Mm. which affects children in crazy ways where they can't even get the right nutrition from their mother. So we're talking about coming against just generations of being stepped back. Everything we do, we believe in local people solving local problems and local people solving global problems. We Mm. are local people people. Um, (laughs) And so we work with local care networks. And um, we had a a man who 
knew of this community and this community broke his heart. And so he said, can you just come and look at this community with me? Mm. No kids are going to school. They do not have access to water. Mm. They do not have access to food. And so we went and looked at it with him and he said, I want to love this community. Will you partner with me in it? And so the first thing we addressed was their water issue, because that is like, if you're coming into a community and um, there's a whole thing of, there's a bunch stacked against them, you need to meet the most immediate need first. Mm. So their most immediate need is people were dying from water. I mean, kids were not making it past the age five, left Mm. and right. Wow. And so we, we come in and we start giving them fresh water. So that starts to transform the community a little bit. And then we realize, okay, there's a food issue here. So we start working with the farmers and start working in the community to develop some food resources, to develop some food abilities for them. And then we decided to just go ahead and attack the beast that was education. This was a community of over 5,000 people. It was a big community. It was I think a, over the three neighborhoods, it was 8,000. Wow. Okay, so this is a community of 8,000 people, okay? No school buses had ever gone in this community wow. before. No one in this community had ever gone to school. So we start partnering with this local guy. We start doing a little pre-primary education. So education in this region of the world is free if you can read and write by the first grade, which they didn't have a chance at. Wow. So we would come in and we would start doing education and teaching them how to read and write in Mm. three languages, actually. They're brilliant Mm. children. And if you go in now, we've been working in this community over 20 years. If you go in on a Monday morning, that community is full of school buses. Oh, come on. Kids are being picked up. There are kids in that community that started in one of these schools that now have their masters. Come on. That are developing that community. I mean, the transformation that happened in that community is insane. So what we get to do is really fun. Honestly, we get to come in and see through partnership with people here locally and people there locally, just the transformation that can come when someone says that's not my kid, but that could be my kid. And I'm going to help that kid. Oh, so good. And then Christy, can you tell us a story? Just it's something that you've seen through the work of SOS that has just moved you. I mean, that's such a powerful one. What's another example of some of the work that you're doing? Goodness, there are so many communities that come to mind. Mm. And, you know, education is a big one because I feel like education does unlock so much. But honestly, I've seen the power of food and water. I mean, such basic needs. But, you know, we have one area that when I was living in Asia, working with our office there, we had a whole bunch of water projects. We had communities where there's a lot of discrimination that happens and people are actually cut off from food, water and education inside of communities. And and if you think about it, anytime it's a commodity that there's not enough of for everybody, that power play begins to, to happen. And there's one particular guy that I worked with and we did probably 15 different water projects. He was over a whole region and we were down there doing all kinds of water projects and feeding programs. And it was cool because when I first started working with him, he was like an outcast in the area. And the more communities we were able to go in and and drill water wells in and do community water filtration systems and and bring in food. and, And the more he was able to develop these communities, Four years later, I was there with him at his house, and we had just gotten finished documenting a bunch of water projects that we had just finished. And I'm sitting there talking to him, and all of a sudden, the local mayor is at his door, and the police chief is at his door, and the president of a local school is at his door. And it's like the transformation that has taken place in this community when people just care about their community and they care about the children that that. live there. So none of it's rocket science. I mean, like we're talking about simple solutions, but like that's what community development is. And so Mm. getting to go inside of these communities and see the transformation that takes place. And not only are we talking about meeting basic needs, because that that is, I mean, you give them water, you give them food and that's huge. Right. But water and food are huge tools in stopping traffickers. And I think that that's a disconnect that a lot of times we have as Western society when we do have water and food more readily available. But I will tell you as somebody who's looked at these communities all over the world, the lack of food, the lack of water puts girls especially, but also little boys at such a great risk Mm. for trafficking. I mean, we had a community that we were in the process of working on getting some feeding programs expanded to. And when we got in there, I mean, this was a remote, remote community. There was not a single little girl in the village. Oh, it was just one of those that you were like, oh my gosh, what happened? And traffickers had come through two days before and offered to buy up little girls. And this community was so desperate for food that they're selling their daughters. And so, you know, we can talk about the happy side of food and water, which I love. I love the happy side of food and water. But it is such a strategic tool in stopping traffickers. Mm. And if you look globally at trafficking, food insecurity 
yep. is a huge source wow. of what gets girls trafficked and what keeps girls in trafficking. I so appreciate that you're teaching us that because I think you're right. There is a major disconnect there for people that, that like, of course you think food and water, that's good. All kids and families should have food and water, but to make that connection between that need for food and water and then therefore the predator comes in and takes over as a way to fill that gap. I, I mean, wow, that's information I don't think a lot of people know. And so I'm so grateful that SOS is in there actually bringing some of those life-sustaining things like food and water as a way to combat trafficking because you don't hear about that a lot. And so that, that just feels like some really foundational proactive work that you're doing. Incredible. Love that. Yeah, we love using feeding, especially as trafficking prevention. We have, I mean, obviously when you start working in this, you begin to see the patterns of trafficking. And in Asia, we, we had worked in this particular area and we saw a lot of girls being trafficked from a city. And we were actually able to send a feeding team into that area of girls who had been rescued and recovered. And they were able to go through and do feeding outreaches and prevention awareness of what was going on because we were able to pinpoint, hey, in this region, this is what traffickers are doing. And so then you can serve a meal alongside that prevention and that education mm. of like, hey, be on guard. And you want to talk about like strategy against stopping it. It's that that powerhouse combination. But yeah, I mean, you're you're going up against very sophisticated crime. There is a lot of money in human trafficking. Mm-hmm. So any way that they can exploit a vulnerability or a need, we're definitely seeing them do that. I want to invite you to be a part of the rescue and restoration of human trafficking victims through SOS International. During this month of rescue, we're praying that our listeners will provide 80 months of loving care to women and children who are making the choice to leave their lives of bondage and slavery. Your gift of $150 covers one month of their care, safe shelter, food, medical attention, counseling, restoration ministry, education, skills training. Basically, you will be giving them a chance at a whole new life. Amazing to think how much impact your gift will have in the lives of women and children who have been trapped in the slavery of the global sex trade. And if you give right now, a generous matching partner will double whatever you provide to give twice as much love and care to these women. I hope that encourages you to be extra generous. Please give your gift now by calling 866-343-4717. Again, that's 866-343-4717. Or if it's more convenient, you can also give by clicking the SOS banner at 1160hope.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromman. Happy St. Patrick's Day! As I've been saying throughout the entire show in my incredible Irish accent, because it is St. Patty's Day, I thought it was only appropriate to do a St. Patty's Day trivia show. And uh, because it is our trivia quiz show, that means we're bringing on our most handsome special guest, my husband, Kevin Sampson. Kevin, thank you for being here with us today. Top of the morning to you. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, before we start, let me ask this. Kevin, uh, thoughts on your wife's Irish accent and will she do this all day to you? What what are your thoughts on the Irish accent? It's a it's a it's a cross between Irish. I hear a little Australian. uh, (laughs) She's already been doing it this morning with a box of Lucky Charms in her hands. I'm offending all of the Irish people we decided in the world. And I apologize for that. Okay, are you guys ready for some ready. St. Patrick's Day trivia? Let's do this. Okay, I don't know who's who's the winner right now. I am. I won last oh, one. Brian's the winner. It's me. All Brian's right. going to say it's him, but it's me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go, guys. Number one, where did the first St. Patrick's Day parade take place? Is it A. Ireland, B. Scotland, C. America, or D. Canada? Kevin. Man, I'm going to say America. Okay. Brian? Yes. Aubrey knows that I know this because we already discussed this. It was America. You are both correct. It's uh, the New York City St. Patty's Day. It is the oldest and the largest St. Patrick's Day parade. All right. Number two. When did Chicago begin turning the river green for St. Patty's Day? Is it A, 1962, B, 1960, C, 1958, or D, 1950? Brian? Feels like 1958 to me. Okay, Kevin? 62. 
It is 62. Oh, wow. Come on. Good guess. Good guess. He Googled right. so quickly. He Googled that <laughs> no so Googling. fast. <laughs> against the rules to Google. Okay, number three. This is related to the last question. How many pounds of green food dye are used to turn the Chicago River green each year? Is it A, 100, B, 75, C, 55, or D, 40? Kevin? Um, 100. Brian? 75. It is 40. You are both oh. incorrect. Yeah, only oh. 40. A little shocking, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, number four. This is a <laughs> tricky a lot, one. Though. That's a lot. <laughs> 40 pounds of green food dye is a lot of green food dye. All right, number four. Where was St. Patrick born? Is it A, Ireland, B, Great Britain, C, Australia, or D, France? Ryan? Uh, I am going to go with Great Britain. Kevin? It is. It's Great Britain. You are both correct. It is Great Britain. It's actually because it was in like the 400s. It was actually called Roman Britain at the time, but it is what we now know as Great Britain, England, Scotland, Wales, etc. Okay, number five. Brian, I know you know this, so I feel like this is cheating, but we'll see if Kevin knows it. Okay, let him go first then. Okay, okay. According to legend, what happened during one of St. Patrick's hillside sermons? A, all of the shamrocks started to bloom. B, all of the local snakes were driven to the sea. C, a rainbow appeared in the sky. Or D, leprechauns started dancing. Kevin? (laughs) (laughs) I I know quite a bit of St. Patrick's trivia, but I'm going to call it a... The rainbows? Okay, Brian? You have to to say that in an Irish accent, though. The rainbows. (laughs) Is it rainbows? Uh, that was the snakes being driven into the water. Yes, yes. Local oh, legend says that he drove all of the local snakes into the water at the sound of his sermon. All right. Uh, number six. So we're tied, right? We're tied? Yeah, you're tied. It's okay. three and three. Three and three right now. Number six. How many Americans exchange St. Patrick's Day cards each year? Is it A, four million? Is it B, six million? Is it C, 10 million, or D, 12 million? Brian? That seems like a really dumb holiday to exchange a card for. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm going to go with there are 6 million silly people in our country doing that, yes. Okay, Kevin? 12 million. It is 12 million. There are are 12 million silly people exchanging St. Patrick's Day cards. Yeah, unexpected, right? I, uh, it's dumb. I mean, I, I not unexpected to me. <laughs> Apparently, Brian, you've offended <laughs> all the Irish people that are listening. Okay. Number seven. What color was originally associated with St. Patrick? Hint, it wasn't always green. A, was it, uh, excuse me, A, blue, B, purple, C, white, or D, black? Kevin? Blue. Brian? It's blue. It is blue. Mm, I was hoping you wouldn't get that. Yeah, yeah, it is blue. Apparently, when George III created a new order of chivalry for the Kingdom of Ireland, he needed a color to use for it. At that point, um, they were using dark blue, and so a lighter blue was used for this order. And then in the 1700s, it changed (laughs) to green during the Irish Rebellion. Just some information for you. Okay. You're like, guys, oh. Kevin is ahead right now. We are five to four. Of course. All right. I Here we go. Okay. Number eight. You guys should all get this one, or I will be very disappointed. Before St. Patrick became a missionary, he was kidnapped at age 16 and became a slave where? A, Australia. B, Ireland. C, Scotland. D, Wales. Kevin? Did you say Ireland? Yes. Then it's that, Ireland. That was I mean, me. Does it, doesn't it have to be? Is there a trick question? It has to be Ireland, right? It doesn't have to be Ireland, but it's I, Ireland. Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I was like, well maybe I'm yes. overthinking this. Well done. No, that's why I said you better get it. Right. At 16, he was enslaved by Irish raiders who attacked his home. They transported him to Ireland and held him captive there for six years. He Crazy. later fled to England where he received religious instruction and then returned to Ireland to serve as a missionary. Mm, okay, Crazy, I need one. right. I need to take one here. I need one here. All right, let's see what can happen. Number nine. This is a good one. Number nine. What do some historians believe was St. Patrick's real first name? A. Maywin. B. Bono. C. Lucky Charms. D. 
Michael, Kevin. Jeez. I mean, I really like the idea of Bono. <laughs> um, the uh, Maywin is very Irish. So I was going to guess Maywin, but just for fun, let's go different. I'll go Michael. It is Maywin. It is Maywin. Uh, come it is Maywin. On. Man, I, I mean, I feel like at this point, uh, this is a sunk game, but let's keep going because I got two more good questions. Oh, no. If I, if I beat him on these, I'll we'll at least be tied. Okay. Okay. That's true. All right. Let's see if you can do it, Brian. All right. Number 10. What does Patrick or Patricius mean? A, champion. B, legend. C, father figure. D, holy. Brian? Father figure. It is father figure. Kevin? Oh, sorry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> didn't let you guess. I win that one. Oh, man. Oh, man. Wow. I tried to stack that on Brian's <laughs> side. Sorry about that. All right. Number 11. Let's move on. The first US, <laughs> Sorry about that. The first U.S. president to receive the traditional shamrock pin from Irish leaders. Is it A, Taft, B, Roosevelt, C, Kennedy, or D, Truman? Kevin, I'll let you go first since I robbed you of the last one. Um, the Irish pin? Mm-hmm. Shamrock pin. Shamrock pin. I've never heard of such a thing. Mm-mm. I'll go with Kennedy. Okay. Brian? Since there was two Roosevelts, I'll go with Roosevelt. It was Truman. Harry oh, Truman. Sorry, guys. I'm sorry, guys. Well, Kevin is the winner today of the St. Patrick's oh. Day Congratulations. Have some lucky charms. Hey, Kevin, before you go, uh, your wife wants it only to be her birthday week, but let me acknowledge your birthday this weekend. Happy birthday. I'm celebrating you this week, my friend, much more than your wife. So happy birthday. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be 44 and how old Aubrey is, but she's a day younger than me. (laughs) (laughs) He has a day's worth of wisdom ahead of me. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Kevin. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I love you guys. Thank you. See you, bud. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.